You are listening to Manifest Christianity with Cephas Crosslit. Now, here is your host, Cephas Crosslit. Hey everyone. Um, man, I'm just trying to squeeze so many episodes. Yeah, basically all of next week I'm going to be working so I can't, I don't think I'll be able to record anything next week. So I'm just going crazy making a bunch of these episodes here. Uh, continuing our conversation on Manifest Christianity. Um, what did we talk about last time? We talked about um, the, the temptation to, to attack the church, the spiritual group that you left because you feel like, you know, either, you know, they lied to you or, you know, something. But in reality, you know, you kind of did it to yourself. You know, you, you're the one who went to that church group or you're the one who adhered to all their beliefs or whatever and you got yourself into that so that's kind of talked about that um let's talk about that you know when you leave church when you leave that spiritual family that that you called you know home for a long time yet the whole time you were there there was something just nipping at you and you you know you you just couldn't put your finger on it. And if that thing that was nipping at you was, most of this stuff doesn't make sense, then you're you're listening to a podcast that is trying to understand you and is trying to hopefully guide you in this time of your life. Um, what do you do, right? What do you do when you when you separate yourself from your spiritual um backup right your spiritual support group really what do you do when you separate yourself from those people that you had those prayer nights with those worship nights with you read the bible together you know you you did these weird things you know that churchy stuff and when you think about it you're like yeah yeah that was cool but you know what do you do i contended i think i talked about last time um that you need to do your own you need to do your own work. You need to go out on your own and do the hard work. L- listen, your faith is not going to be handed to you on a platter. Your spiritual life, your your churchiness, whatever you want to call that, is not going to be just given to you neatly. And you're going to be like, oh, wow, I understand all this. Oh, this is perfectly for me. Oh, yeah, you know, I get church and I get what God is all. It's not going to be like that. And I think it's so interesting that a lot of churches out there, they tend to kind of be like that. Like almost like if you join this kind of church, then it'll be all right for you. And you know, they all, they all, every, they all say, oh, you know, the Christian life, it's not going to be all roses, you know, that's not what the Christian life is about. You know, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird presentation that, that they usually give. It's like on one hand, you talk about how great life is, right? When you know Jesus, when you're in the church, blah, blah, blah. But on the second hand, at the same time, they say, oh, but it's not all roses. And so you're like, why, why do I need Jesus, right? Why do I even need the church for? And some, a lot, most churches, they do a really good job dancing around that and kind of twisting the words and making you jump through a hoop and you land in a place where you're like, oh yeah, I guess you convinced me with some words oh yeah i guess it's fine but it's not that easy 
some people are wired in a way where a simple, a simple explanation um, and the way that they're wired, it works for them. And they're able to join in that kind of faith community where that works for them. Such as, there are people who believe in a literal seven-day creation. As mind-boggling as that is. And these are not dumb, you know, people. These are people who have PhDs. These are doctors. These are well-to-do theologians. and All these people, they believe in a literal seven-day creation, okay? I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just, I don't necessarily, but... But then there's a whole bunch of other people who don't believe in that. And guess what? There are debates always happening on college campuses, in seminary campuses, online, all over, all the time. Now, isn't that interesting? Like, there are people who literally just, that's their whole career is they argue about this stuff. But that just shows you that there are a lot of people who believe in that stuff and a lot of people who don't believe in that stuff. And I think for a lot of people who don't believe in the stuff that most churches are pushing forth and presenting for you to believe, those people who really have a hard time believing, I have a strong suspicion that they compromise their beliefs and they just fall for the peer pressure. I think that people have a genuine need for human relationship and community that they will go through lengths to be part of a community. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But I think that's the truth in many ways, in many circles. So there are going to be people who believe in certain ways of doing church and people who don't. And, and that's what I'm saying. It's okay. And I think at this point, if you are separated from that main like church that you've been with, I think it's one of the best opportunities of your life to really see what's out there to see what is really for you, for the way you're wired as a person. And so if this is you, if I'm talking and you're like, yeah, I'm getting this, I'm getting it. I had to break away from, I had to separate from my church, but I still, I'm still seeking God. I still want to follow Christ, but I just don't know what that means. It's every other church I tried, it just doesn't make sense. I want to tell you, this is probably going to be the most exciting part of this new journey. Because you have the freedom now. And you have, you have broken the shackles of whatever was keeping you in that old faith community that you were stuck in. And you couldn't get yourself out for a while. I don't know why. But you got yourself in there. You don't know what you were thinking. <laughs> and then you're like, all right, time to get out. You got out of there. You're still dealing with the, the, the grieving and the loss of relationships and people in your life from that old church. 
But now you get to check out other churches. You get to check out other faith groups. You get to, you get to check out other groups, right? And see what really works for you. And I think that that's a great thing. People are not wired the same way. If you ever visited or served or checked out like a children's ministry, you will see what happens. Um, there, there will always be a handful of kids kind of just on their own in the corners. And when, while all the other kids are yelling and screaming and having fun with the program, these kids are just kind of like observing. Some are putting their hands on their ears because it's too loud. And they're just kind of just taking their time. Guess what? That's literally, that's what happens when you grow up. And I don't think people realize that some people learn and intake, you know, take in things differently from others. And just because a lot more people take in church one way, it doesn't mean that that's the only way. I hope I'm making sense here. And so just that concept alone, you're, you're free. It should give you that freedom. Just check out another one and see if that works for you, right? And there's the old adage, that, that old argument, right? I used to preach this all the time. I used to say this literally like once a month, every time I preached. And I would preach once to twice a week. And I think this was something that a lot of pastors preach because they're, they're pretty uh, self-conscious and they're very kind of, it's a vulnerable area for them. Because as much as they want to serve everyone, they can't. And so you need to be able to church shop. There's nothing wrong with shopping for churches. There's nothing wrong with that. What you think that the, the first church that you enter, that's the one that God has ordained you to stay in and die in? Like, <laughs> Churches are different now. Some churches are super traditional and still read hymns from the books and the pews. That does not connect well with a lot of people. But you know what? If you were raised in a super, like, super charismatic and liberal and, you know, emotional kind of church... And then you grew up in all that and you're, you kind of grow up and you're old and you're, you're, you're old enough and you're tired of that. You want to, you're like, man, I, I tried that my whole life. And you go to one of these old school churches, you pull out a hymn and you hear everyone, they're into it. They're into the hymns. They're into singing the words and the words mean something to them. And you could tell while you're sitting in there, you're reading, you're singing with them. You're like, man, I could feel this vibe. Sometimes it works for people and sometimes it doesn't. When I first left my Pentecostal church, I wanted to just visit so many different churches and I did. And I visited one that was so far away um, theologically. It was an Episcopalian church. And I went there and guess what? The first the first time I went to that church, 
it rocked me. I'm, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps. I don't know what it, what it was. I was raised as a Pentecostal my whole life. All I knew about church and connecting with God was praying out loud like all the other Korean pastors and the Korean churches and churchgoers. That's all I knew what church was about. It was all about, oh, you need to be emotional because, you know, being emotional, that's what it means to love God, I guess, you know, be passionate and blah, blah, blah. You know, you need to be gung-ho. You need to have the, this, this and that and just whatever. It was a shit show. <laughs> Is that going to give me an explicit rating on this it was a cluster and going from this whole emotional like you know rejecting ritualistic type of church you know you're looking at all these other churches you're like ah oh, no those are of you know witchcraft they're using you know incense and you know, you're looking at all that you know oh look they're using you know flags and robes and these are kind of you know you know, akin to iconography and blah, blah, blah. You know, you, you learn all that. You're raised with all that. And then I finally break free from that. And I go to an Episcopalian church where they actually have these things. And they, they serve the communion, the Eucharist with real wine. And I'm, I'm partaking in this community. I feel welcome. I'm I'm just chilling on my own, but I'm I'm digging it. It it's just not only is it new to me, but it is speaking to my soul in a way that I never experienced. These are the wonderful types of experiences that you finally get to experience. You're going to want to take a friend, someone you know, and go to these things. But let me tell you something. Going on your own makes it a little better. At least when you go the first few times, you know, don't be a loner. But I mean, if you can, right? Try to go on your, because this is you. Don't try to hide behind your friends, go in there with your friends so that you don't have to be vulnerable with yourself and face yourself. This is about you. It's not about anything else. Listen, you had the freedom to check out a Catholic church. You never even thought about that, huh? That's not for me, but hey, you never know. You had the freedom to check out a Baptist church if you never done it. You had the freedom to check out whatever you want now. You separated yourself. There's no going. I mean, there is going back. You want to go back to that? Pretty sure you don't want to go back to that. There's no going back. So be free. Visit churches. Check it out. It's great. Shop for church. You know, shop for a church. This is literally when you can actually, you're a grown up now and you can make your own decisions. Like seriously, it's screw all that dumb argument about, oh, it's a capitalistic society and that's what we're going to treat church as a consumer good. It's like, shut up. 
It's the 21st century. We're dealing with realities that we cannot separate ourselves from. Realities such as a capitalistic society that has informed the way that we make decisions. It's not like, oh, we're living in a capitalistic society, so therefore we're sinning just because we're living in one. Because we're operating. Get out of here with that. It's okay to church. It's okay to shop for a church. All right. I'm pretty sure you don't want to just go to that corner church and find out it's filled with a bunch of like people that that you don't really connect with, and then you're like, oh, I guess I got to stay at this church. No. <laughs> and those churches and those pastors guilt tripping people in church shopping. It's like, leave them alone. Let him look for a church that that works well with them. This is tough for a lot of pastors. It really is because think about it. If you're in charge of a church and you know people are church shopping, they come to your church, you see newcomers, you as a lead pastor, you better be on your game. You better make sure that things that you're that's going on in your church, in your service that day, not only is something that would entice them in their spirit, like, hey, this is somewhere I belong, but that you have to be on your game. And I see this all the time. When the church isn't on their game and they don't have certain things set up for those people, guess what? They're not going to come back because, yeah, people are shopping for churches. And if you are a lazy pastor, if you are a lazy church, what do you expect? What do you expect? Like, would you want to, would you want to settle in a church like that? (laughs) Or would you rather settle in a church that works for you? Lazy churches don't do it. In the quarantine season, you need to be on your game. I know I talk about this literally every episode, but gosh, if your church during this quarantine season, and this is going to date these episodes so badly. You know, this probably somebody's going to listen to this in 2022 or 24. You're going to be like, quarantine? He's really talking about quarantine? Hey, I'm sorry. But during, okay, look, in the future, if there is some sort of crisis going on in the world and your church is lazy, which I mean is, listen, if there's a crisis going on and there is an ability for the church to do things, to continue on, yet all they end up doing is doing the same old thing, just trying to maintain the face, trying to just maintain the look of the church. That is being lazy. Is that being harsh? I'm pretty sure it's being harsh, but I'm done with churches that are cowering in fear. If you're listening to this and this in the future and something like that is happening in your church, you are a church worker listening to this podcast because it's enticing your, you know, guilty pleasures, you know, but you're working it. Let's say this, this is in the future, right? It's no longer quarantine, of course. What I'm learning right now, which hopefully this wisdom goes out to you, whoever it is in the future. Oh, it's so funny. I'm like talking to my future self, almost like a time capsule, but. If you're in a church and the church is going through some sort of hardship, crisis, the true colors of the leadership will show. Guarantee. 
the true colors of the leadership of the staff will show. And you will see if that church is a church that you want to be in and involved with. Sad to say right now, it's not my church that I'm serving in right now. The way that I'm seeing this church that I, just the way that I'm seeing them react to such a crisis as this COVID-19 quarantine thing is, it's pitiful. It's pitiful. Lazy. Lazy people who don't want to do new things. Lazy people who just want to cower in fear and wait until the storm's over. Lazy. Don't be like that. If people are still paying their tithes to the church, we as church leaders must understand that they are still looking to us to care for them. Now, caring for people in the sense of church means that we need to know what they want, what they need in their spiritual life, of course, their faith life, as a church also in their needs, right? Physical needs, emotional needs. There's a lot of stuff involved in ministry. But when things are shifting and changing, if the immediate response to those changes is how can we continue to do what we do and, how do I say this right? And not overexert ourselves because we don't know what's going to happen in the future. That's the kind of church I'm with right now. You might think on the surface, oh, that's a wise strategy. You know, don't, don't go for it. No, no. But what, what I think is, once again, is pure laziness. We as pastors and ministers owe it to the people to make it work for them. If you're face-to-face -face with people physically in the same room, yeah, I guess over the centuries, this format of standing in front of a bunch of people sitting down and talking, it seems to work a little bit. I would argue it doesn't work at all these days, but it seems to work a little bit because it's ingrained in culture. But does that work same online? What I'm finding out is it's not. Yet the church doesn't want to face the fact that, you know, they might have to redo a lot of stuff. Literally redo everything. And the churches that are lazy, you're not going to get the newcomers. You pray and you pray. You burn out your team, the leadership, the deacons, the elders, you know, the people who are putting in money for all this stuff. They hired these new people. The, oh yeah, they're going to help our church grow. But if you're lazy... You don't want to do the hard work. 
You want to just maintain, right? You just want to maintain face and you don't want to do anything different. You don't want to keep up with times. You don't want to just be honest and take a take a filter over whatever your church is doing, whatever you're doing. You don't want to do that. Guess what? You're not going to get the newcomers that you really want. You're going to get the old comers. And then sooner or later, the old comers are going to realize this church doesn't want to change. This church just want to stay the same and and not address that the world is changing. That's a losing team. It's a losing church. A church that's losing members. Man, how did I get into this rabbit trail? That's crazy. Oh, church shopping. It's not. It's not a bad thing to church shop. Seriously. Would you want to be at a church that doesn't want to, doesn't want to shake you know, because they're, they're, they're perfectly comfortable where they are. They don't want to do new things because they're comfortable. Would you want to be in that church? I'm pretty sure a lot of you would. Well, yeah, stay with that kind of church. I mean, if that's for you, that's, that's for you. For me, I can't do that. I guess I'm not that old yet where I have to have a settled church, like a settled set ways. And I understand there's a lot of people who need that when they get older. And I feel I might be one of those people, but at this time in my life, I feel church shopping is right. You know, pe- people are afraid, you know, when you're church shopping, what about those churches with the old people? You know, they need the young people in their church. Listen, they have to change. You really think People want to go to a church that is not changing their ways. Like, they're complaining, oh, the world is getting to them. You know, all these young people, they they love the worldly ways, the church doing the world. No, it's not. It's just the ways that connect best with them. But if you're going to get so old and you're going to hold on to your ways instead of saying, oh, yeah, the, the reality is there's always new ways. There's always new ways coming out. If you don't want to, if you don't want to face that reality and be honest with yourself, guess what? You're just going to be stuck at a church, and it's going to grow old. It's going to die off. You're probably going to, you know, merge with another church that's younger. You know, they'll absorb that church, pay off a land, you know, something, and sell the land, buy a building. You know, that church becomes something totally different from what the original one. But what you know. It just happens. It happens a lot. So if you're out on your own, this is one of the best times of your life. You get to church shop. You get to go to the churches that put in the time, that put in the energy and the effort and the money into doing things that would reach out to people who take it differently. You get to check out different churches. And you know, as you're checking out different churches um, and as you're out on your own, right? I talked about absorbing, right? Which is taking in the word of God, reading the Bible, not for any other reason of like spiritual growth, nothing like that. It's surely for the reason of you. If you want to have Christianity manifesting and you are just void 
You don't understand. You don't know anything in the Bible because of the lack of reading. Clearly, you need to read. Absorbing, absorbing, absorbing your faith means all that. Let's talk about absorbing your faith because absorbing is actually the first point of the manifest Christianity approach. Um, first step as in after you have done, gone through the realization and the action of going for it, right? And um, what I mean by that is you, you want to manifest Christian things in your life. First step to do that is to absorb the faith. And to absorb, one of the ways to do that is through listening. 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 Um, reading the Bible with an open heart. You know, praying is also listening. You know, but these are just big, wild concepts. Would you not agree? Reading the Bible and praying. I think we're just going to talk about this. This is going to take a while. This might take another episode, but we'll talk about this and then we'll go over what's going on in my church. You know, we'll just do the Bible study and we'll call it a day, huh? But a new way of listening, a new way of praying. Have you ever thought of that? Isn't that interesting that um, people think that reading the Bible or praying is literally like just there's one only one way to do it? And I think that as usual, I'm just going to push up against it and say, I, I think... When people have that view of anything, it, it's sort of it's sort of a trap, and it's sort of like, okay, come on, what what are you trying to say that there's no other way? I think there are many ways that you could read the Bible, and I think there are many ways that you could pray. And yeah, these are all parts of listening, which is part of absorbing your faith. Absorbing your faith in the book I'm writing, you know. Uh, manifest Christianity <laughs> there are um, there are four reflections and it goes listen grow humility and wait these are all uh, these are all involved in absorbing the faith and I'll go over all of these but slowly as slow as I can but I'm not gonna dangle the carrot in front of you for too long but the first of these in absorbing your faith is listen. And listening is all, all sorts of things. Prayer is listening, you know? Jesus listens in prayer, right? In the Bible. But like I said, what if there's a different way of listening? What if there's a different way of praying? You have already 
read the Bible in a way that probably everyone else reads the Bible. You have already prayed and tried doing a prayer life like everyone else does a prayer life, like most people do a prayer life. Does that make sense? So what do, you, what, what do I mean by reading the Bible a new way or praying a new way? What I mean by that is just being creative about it and not holding back. Not being afraid. Because guess what? You're on your own now. Listen, in this time where you are free to check out other churches, in this time where you're just literally free to experiment, right? You you should see what really works for you and what doesn't. Prayer with your eyes closed, your hands folded. I hope you as an adult, and if you don't, if nothing wrong with you really, but I'm just hoping that that is not the only way you pray. If you are an adult, not going to make fun of you, but if you are like, if you're like over 25, 28 years old, you've been in church for a while, but you're but the only way that you can pray is you got to literally stop everything, you got to be quiet, you got to just close your eyes, fold your hands, you know, be in a seated position. Everything needs to be a perfect thing, and that's the only way you can pray. Gosh. You got a lot of work. <laughs> but l- listen, if that worked for you, beautiful. Go with it. That's actually great. But if that hasn't been working for you, that's what I'm like, oh gosh, that's a lot of work. You got a lot of work to do. Because basically, you you know, you're stuck thinking that that is the only way to pray. So I'm not making fun of you. I'm trying to point this out. I don't think ever in the Bible... It describes people praying as in they closed their eyes, bowed their head, folded their... I don't think it does that. And if it does, uh, maybe I'm really bad, but I really don't think it (laughs) does that. In fact, many times it says Jesus looked up to heaven and he prayed, right? Jesus says, when you pray to your heavenly father, pray like this. He didn't necessarily give a prescription of the order of, you know, physically what we do, really. He said, pray like this. This is a a model I'm going to give you, right? So what's to say that you going to an Episcopalian church and you observing and also participating in people praying and, and actually using like, Incense, sensors, um, you know, like symbols, you know, sounds and stuff. You know, smoke of the priest going down the the middle aisle with the altar boys or something, just different things. What if that works for you? 
What if you do a little bit of research, you read a little bit or talk to a few people before you do it and be like, what does this all symbolize and how do I intake this and think about it when it works? And they explain it to you, try it out. If it works for you, beautiful. Guess what? You found a new way to pray. And that's a beautiful thing. Maybe prayer is literally you just staring off into space. I don't know. But something about that, it brings forth things in your spiritual life that connects you. New ways to pray. Do the old, you know, journaling, right? You writing out your stuff. What if prayer isn't necessarily you confessing how you feel to God? Hmm? See, even that I feel it needs to be rethought, repackaged. Because you're talking about prayer in twenty in the twenty first century when a lot of people, human beings, they're no longer fully human. There's a lot of people who are kind of bionic, really, in a sense where there is technology in their life. So they're not just human. They are also technology that is helping them to prolong their life as a human being. So what if there are ways that work better for people who are not quote-unquote fully human in that sense and it works better for them in other ways there's a lot of different ways we can go with this but i hope you understand what i'm saying there are new ways that you can pray new ways to read the bible who's (laughs) seriously like Do you think that the early church, the days of Acts, that everyone, they read the Bible? Like, do you think even if they they were literate, it was like that? When people give a guilt trip about others not reading the Bible every day, I'm just like, hey, where where do you even see that? Where, Where does this come from? I think a lot of us has have made reading the Bible and praying to God such a a prescribed way of doing it that it's like we don't we're hesitant because we want to do it right. We don't want to mess it up, but there's so many different things. You're just like, how do I even pray? I don't want to pray. It's just so many things involved. I got to do it the right way. I got to say this. And seriously, I don't think it's like that. But at the same time, I feel the way that I pray is in a much different way than anyone else would pray. Some people will pray as, hey God, dear God, you know, uh, you know, they do those kind of prayers. Other people literally pray as a personal reflection. But even in their vocalization of a personal reflection, it is a prayer that they're connecting with God inside. But to others, you would probably be like, oh, this person is very narcissistic. They're just talking about themselves. But no, people pray different ways. Maybe you should try different ways of praying to find out what is best for you.
because it's all about absorbing your faith. If you don't want to go through these practices and learn you know, a new way to read the Bible, right? A new way to pray. Well, you're kind of stuck with the old ways, which is fine. It might work for you. Okay. I hope you do it at least. But if those old ways that you're, if that's doesn't, it's not working. I'm trying to tell you there are different ways to do it. You don't have to read the whole freaking Bible to be a Christian. A lot of people who have lived a Christian life longer than anyone, other people have probably only read like two books of the Bible their whole life. To guilt trip people to do that is not the way to do it. But if you're serious about your faith life, right? And you have separated yourself from that church group and all that. It's not a bad idea to literally read the whole Bible to know what is in that thing. Because this is your faith we're talking about. New ways to read the Bible. What's wrong with reading? Like, I think I said this a few podcasts. What's wrong with reading the same passage over and over for like every day for like a month? Because that's, for some reason, that just hits, it's just hitting you in a way in that season of your life. New ways of reading the Bible, right? New ways of praying, new ways of reading the Bible, making it work for you and not falling for the dumb arguments where they're like, oh, you know, they just want to do Christianity on their own or, oh, look, they don't want to have authority in their life. It's not about that. If you want it to make sense for you, you need to just do it, right? And you need to do what that makes sense to you on your own. Because at the end of the day, your faith is not the faith of the person who's criticizing you, right? Your spiritual life, your spiritual journey to be more like Christ is not the person who is pointing their finger at you saying how much you're not like Christ. That is your life with Christ, not their life with you. And so that has nothing to do with you. So if, if you're off on your own, you got to absorb your faith. You got to, you got to check out other churches, check out how other denominations pray maybe, or how they read the Bible or, you know, you might meet a few weird people in other churches and, you know, you might just get drawn into the way they read the Bible or they pray, right? And, and guarantee this practice of just visiting other churches and, experimenting and, and looking at different ways to read the Bible and praying more than finding your, the best ways for you to read the Bible and pray, you're going to find almost every way that you cannot read the Bible and you cannot pray. You're going to be like, yeah, I definitely, that is not the way for me to read the Bible. Oh, that's definitely not the way for me to pray. Cause I tried it. It's just, it just doesn't work. And that's, it's the hard work of, taking control of your own faith life because no one else is going to do it for you, right? Ooh, that took a while, but absorbing your faith means you got to read the Bible and you got to pray. And if the ways that you've been taught to read the Bible and praying are not working for you for some reason, then do the hard work and find out what works for you.
All right, simple as that. All right, let's go talk about what's happening at my church. Um, just because I think it's always good to just kind of put different segments into this instead of constantly talking about this whole thing. I hope I hope you're getting something out of this. I hope you're really benefiting somebody who's listening to this. Because um, it's, it's, it's hard when you're out there. It's hard. So what's going on in my church? Um, gosh, I am definitely not happy, of course, because I, I'm working with lazy people, you know? People who don't want to try new things. Um, really, though, the thing that really gets me at my church, and I'm so glad I'm doing this um, without giving my real name and my real church name and all that, because it's a very unethical church. And yeah, you know, the argument, every church in some way is unethical because, you know, it's just it's just a community and it's just bound to happen. Yeah, but the leadership and the way they make decisions are is just so unethical. And guaranteed, this is not the only episode I'm going to talk about this. And I'm just kind of brushing up on it right now. But I might talk about it some more as one of the main topics next time or later. But I just felt like I just got to get this off my chest. Basically, basically look, I, I'm I'm working with... Um, the person I'm working directly with is, is a very much a control freak to the point where they, they literally are, I, I feel they want to control what happens in the church or else they're just not going to be happy. And it's sad when that happens. But what's even sadder is that, that it's a staff member. Now, staff members have a lot of say and a lot of power in what happens in churches because they have direct access to the decision maker, which is the senior pastor. And as long as they're in vicinity of that senior pastor and they keep on mentioning it and they keep on bringing up good ideas of why it's a good idea, things can get done. Well, the unethical thing that I have to work with all the time is that this person wants to literally control the church because their their kids go to the church. And so they're the big thing is, okay, it's like I don't want the elementary ministry to have sixth graders because every time we get new sixth graders, they just throw a fit. We're literally spending three quarters of all of the school year trying to get them to settle in and reassure them we love them, you know, and then just whatever. So it's like, I'm having a conversation with this person and like, hey, I think it's a really good idea that we just kind of cut off elementary ministry at fifth grade because actually a lot of churches do. And sixth grade, they just put them into the youth group because that's kind of where the middle schoolers are. And this person I work with is just like, give me the runaround like oh yeah we already talked about that as a staff meeting before you came on board oh we you know we talked about that every year and then if and then finally it just came to the point where this person finally goes look i just don't want to have this conversation anymore about oh fifth grade sixth grade look my youngest child is is in third grade 
I want them to stay the baby. So I don't want them to go into youth group as fast as they want to. So I want to keep them at sixth grade. So keep sixth grade elementary. So I'm just like, wow. A whole church policy is because you personally don't want your child to grow up so fast. And so your ways of raising your child is placed on every other family who comes to that church. It's very unethical. And I know that this person does that because they have that power to do that. I didn't say anything about it. In fact, I just, I'm, I'm letting it slide because personally, I don't have, I don't have stake in this church as this other person does. Because at the end of the day, I'm only there for a few years and I'm out of there. This person stays at this church even when I'm gone. And so who am I to just, you know, make these policies, you know? I am in control of a lot of stuff, but I'm not going to fight it because in the long run, I feel that that's best. But it's very unethical to control policy of a whole church just because you have a personal a personal need. And my thing is, look, even if you have a personal need, it it's it should never change the need of the whole church. And that's the unethical nature I see of this church and it's just sad that I have to get out of this kind of church but it's just so unethical there's a lot of unethical things that happen at my church and i might actually make that into a little segment of unethical things that happen at my church just to like point them out so hey um let's go to our bible study let's go to mark chapter 9 and um finish up of course nrsv man we are moving through this book and he said to them, truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead could mean. Then they asked him, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? He said to them, Elijah is indeed coming first to restore all things. How then is it? written about the Son of Man, that he is to go through many sufferings and be treated with content. But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as, as, as it is written about him. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. 
When the whole crowd saw him, they were immediately overcome with awe, and they ran forward to greet him. He asked them, What are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth, and it becomes rigid, and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. He answered them, You faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help him. And Jesus said to him, If you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child of the child cried out, I believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You spirit that keeps this boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he was able to stand. When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, This can only can come out only through prayer. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum, Capernaum, and he was in the house, and he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me, welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterwards speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if you, if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell, where there are worm, where their worm never dies, 
and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. When they were up on the mountain of transfiguration, right, they saw the sea. How did they know it was Elijah and Moses? Did, did the, were there traditions like, oh, if you ever see Moses, he's going to have this on. Or good old Elijah, you know, and his cane, you know, and he's always in a cane. He, he has his cane on or, you know, Moses and his, Moses and his crooked eye, you know. You know, be on the lookout for Elijah. You know, he got a big old, you know, he got a big old tat on his face. How are you going to know it's them, right? It's very interesting. Another story, like back to back, right? Last one was, last chapter was another, it was a girl, right? Who they thought was dead. Jesus brought her back to life. Talitha Kum, right? That stuff. Very interesting. Yeah. I say um a lot, right? Who's the greatest? He took a little child. It's funny, right? So there's just, there's a child just chilling next to Jesus and Jesus, you know, verse 39. No, no, no. Not verse 39. Verse 36. He's like in the middle of teaching them. And basically verse 30, he takes a little child and put it among them. Taking it in his arms. And he uses the child as like an analogy. It's like, if you ever seen like people running for president and like, oh, there's a child up there. And then they take the child and like they kiss it or something. It's like that, right? <laughs> oh, it's funny. It's not really like that, but I just feel it's funny way to put it side by side. Um, ooh, temptation to sin. Cut off all those things. Pluck out your eye. Cut off your foot. Man. There, there are some uh, sermons that, that they, they talk about this. They're like, man, that's how serious Jesus thinks about it. And it's like, well, did you also know that this, this kind of sequence is, is taken from, if not taken, is very similar to um, Persian culture uh, and, and their way of handling uh, injustices? Just something I took out from my seminary days, but check it out yourself. It, it's not, it's not, I'd, it's not necessarily, the source isn't necessarily a Jewish culture from this, you know, this, this saying, if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your eye causes you to stumble. I, I believe the origins came from, from outside of that. So I, th I think if I'm wrong, Hey, I'm wrong, and I'm on record saying it, so leave me alone. Hey, um, it's been great just doing these episodes with you, and uh, like I keep saying, next week, I'm going to be working nonstop, so I don't have any time to record. So I hope you just take these episodes and just kind of enjoy them. If you, uh, you want to message me, Ask questions, comments, feedback. Manifest Christian Manifest Christianity at gmail.com. Go ahead and send those things. Um thanks for listening.
Hope to see you. Uh, hope to talk to you all soon. All right. Later. You have been listening to Manifest Christianity with Cephas Crosslet.